was a special day, and it was a special day because I got to marry Jaya Bhattacharya. And yeah, almost 18 years ago to, yeah, okay, there we are, yeah. And y'all take a moment, just, you know, just take it all in. I know she looks the same and I don't, okay? Uh, but, but here's what happened on that day. It was a wedding, to be clear, but it was also a funeral. The single me died on that day, right? And, and what happened was the single me died and the two became one. Right? And, and it was a massive celebration for that simple fact. And, and my wife is Indian, and so we had a massive Indian feast, and we had several hundred people at our wedding, some of whom I met for the very first time. It was that kind of wedding, all right? And we had music and, and dancing at our wedding. And let me just tell you, I know you've been to some weddings where like a few people are out there dancing. Like this was a wedding where every single person in attendance, even my white family with no rhythm, was out there. My dad, who I've never seen dance before, was doing the Macarena. And I was like, Dad, what? calm that down a little bit. And, and let me just be honest with you, there was no alcohol at our wedding. People were drunk on life. Okay, they were drunk on marriage. And, and everybody was just having a massive party. And the way the reception ended, if you can picture this, is everybody lifted me and my, my new wife, my new bride, up on their shoulders and carried us to their car. Okay. It was a massive celebration. Now, why? why? Why was that such a big party? Why did, why did we get all together and dress nice and clothes we don't normally wear? Why, why did we invite people we didn't really even know? Like, why, why did my father-in-law spend so much money on that thing? Why, why was it such a big deal that we got married? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the purpose of marriage. If you're new, we're in this series, In the Beginning. We're going back to the very beginning of our Bibles, looking at how God intended, God, how, how God designed the universe to function and relationships to function, and, and today, how, how marriage is intended to function. So we're looking at Genesis chapter 2. Uh, you can grab a Bible. If you don't have one, there should be in the row in front of you, a Bible right there. Grab that, take that home with you, use it, mark it up, that's what it's for. Some of you may have your study guide. You can grab that and take notes. Uh, if you didn't get a study guide, we ran out last week because so many of you took it. I love that. We have a ton more. We bought more. So grab one on your way out if you didn't get one of these. But take notes in that as we follow along together. Uh, but here, here's my goal is I want to look at the very first marriage and learn how it affects the way you see your marriage. And here's what I know is in, in a church this size, I know everybody is, is all over the place in your backgrounds and your relationship status. And, and some of you are married and some of you are not married. And some of you want to get married. And, and if, if you're that person, just can we help each other out? Raise your hand. <laughs> okay, all right, y'all actually did it. That was fun. All right, so look at those hands and go talk to them afterwards, buy them lunch, all right. Some of you want to get married. And then what I know also is some of you ha have been married, but you lost your spouse. And you, you've even talked to me. We did a whole relationship series in the fall. And um, you're like, hey, that's, that's not the season I'm in anymore. And so here, here's what I want to say is this is going to help. Those of you who just raised your hand want to get married, uh, my prayer is this is going to help save you from some pain. Because you're going to get the, the purpose of marriage on the front end, all right? 
And then some of you who are like, hey, I'm just not in that season. I'll never be in that season again. What I would say is what we always say is what this, this is in this room right now is not just a gathering of people. It's an assembly of the body of Christ. And the reality is there's a lot of people in here who are married. And I don't know if you're paying attention, but marriage in our culture, marriage in the church is not doing so hot. And so all of us need to put our hand, this is the body of Christ. Members in our church are married and they're potentially struggling and we need to all put our hand in and say, how can we help? How, how can we babysit? How can we pray for you, babysit, pray for you? <laughs> and how can we come alongside each other? This is the beauty of the body of Christ, amen? And so we all need to lean in on this no matter what season of life you find yourself in. We're gonna be in Genesis chapter two. And just to catch you up, if this is your first Sunday, this is week three for us in this series. What has happened so far is God has created, spoken creation into being, the heavens and the earth. Last week, George Brown did a great job of talking about how he creates man in his image. And then today we're gonna see this very first marriage. And then next week is Genesis three, really just flip a page and we're gonna see sin disrupt all that and temptation and, and what that means. So come back for that next week. But here we are in Genesis chapter two, looking at the, the very first marriage. Look at it with me, starting in verse 18. It says this, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Here's our first point. If you're taking notes in your study guide, marriage is God's good design. Marriage is God's good design. Remember what we said last week is that God created the, the whole universe, the whole cosmos, not by lifting a, a, even a finger, not by looking at instructions, watching YouTube videos. Like God had the whole universe in his internal being. Like he wasn't inspired by something else that uh, he didn't paint by number. Like God just intrinsically spewed forth creation, like the heavens, the earth, the lights, the, the stars, the, the seas, the, the mountains, like all of that like was God's idea and he spoke it into being. Like that's how, how powerful God is. And what you see is as he does this, you see this rhythm. It's this rhythm of let there be and it was so and it was good. Let there be, it was so, and, and it was good. After everything God makes, that's the rhythm that you see until that rhythm is broken. In Genesis chapter two and what we just read, for the first time he says, hey, wait a second, this is not good. And, and what does he say is not good? For the man to be alone. And this is fascinating to me, and I've read this passage a lot of times. I've even preached it before, but I didn't really pick up on this till this 
week, that, that it's God who says, this is not good for man to be alone. I think I've always kind of pictured like it being Adam, like, hey, God, can you help me out here? Can you get me a woman? <laughs> and it's not, Adam's not asking for that. Adam is looking at the creator and sustainer of all the cosmos, and he's in a perfect garden hanging out with that God. Can you imagine this? And he's like, man, this is great. And it's God who steps in and says, no, it's not. Something is missing. You need, you have the vertical relationship with me, but you need horizontal relationship. That's how God designed us to function. And so listen, this is where you need to know whether you're married or single, what God is showing us here in the very beginning is that you're not meant to do life alone. That's the greatest commandment, right? In the New Testament, what is it? Love God, love people. Like this is what God designed, pre-fall, pre-sin, and sometimes in our culture, we, we equate spirituality with going off to a monastery all by yourself and just me and Jesus and alone time with God. Let me just tell you, that's important. Like Jesus did that. He went away to pray. But, but primarily, you and I are designed to be in community. It's not good for you to be alone. And that's why we always bang the drum. Hey, this isn't a conference that you attend 52 times a year. This is a community that you participate in, that you're in relationship with. That's why we told you to go to life and community. And last week, I'm excited to tell you, we had 20 people on our church campus that stepped in and said, hey, I don't wanna do life alone. And they're going through this study guide together. And our hope is that they'll form community groups in people's homes by the time they're done with this five or six week study at the church. We're that committed to what God's committed to, is that we would live in relationship with one another. And here, God highlights the relationship between a man and a woman called marriage. And it's so interesting, if you could just kind of follow the flow of the text, if you look at it with me, you, you see Adam is naming these animals, which always, again, I just love, I would just love to be a fly on the wall in that moment. Like, Adam is, is seeing an animal, and he's like, hey, lion, Tiger, bear, aardvark. <laughs> he got a little, like, too creative, okay? Um, and he's just naming, naming these animals. And then when God creates the woman, something changes. And it changes in the Hebrew, the original language in which this is written. That, that he's naming, 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 and all of a sudden he breaks out into poetry. Do you read it? He says, at last... My love has come along, right? That's, that's the message version. You go read that on your own. <laughs> Nobody does say he says it at last. I, can't, I honestly can't help but think about that song. He says at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This is woman. And what you see is not just poetry. You see the first full human sentence ever recorded. And why do we have the first full human sentence? because a woman shows up on the scene, all right? And this is God's good intention. And here's what I know as we talk about this, this this morning is we often don't see marriage as God's good design like this. Like verse 25 is really specific. It says they were naked and not ashamed. Can, can we just stop for a moment and, and think about that? I mean, not the naked part, but the, the no shame part. 
Some of you, like, you don't have any concept for that, specifically as it relates to marriage. When you think of marriage, you don't think of no shame, ultimate freedom and grace and love. Like, that's not what you think about. Some of you, you just think about, you don't think about that. You just think about the fight you had with your wife this morning. Okay? Some of, sometimes I think about that. And maybe this morning I thought about that because my wife had a little bit of a fight this morning. You know, just for sermon prep reasons. <laughs> like, and that's, and that's maybe the last thing you, you've thought about when you think about your spouse is that fight you had. For some of you, it, it goes deeper. You actually do think about shame because of your parents' divorce. Because even now, when you guys organize the holidays, you got to make sure mom and dad aren't in the same room and you get your kids around each one of them at different times and it's exhausting to you and you, you think about the shame of that. Some of you think about your divorce and maybe you've even gone on to be remarried and maybe it's a godly woman or man and maybe you're thriving and flourishing right now, but in the back of your mind, you're like, well, yeah, but my first wife, my first husband, and every time you say that or think that, just a little cloud of shame hovers over you. Some of you, you're married and, and you're not divorced and you're not getting a divorce, but, but if you're honest this morning, your marriage is just stagnant. It's just stale. You guys don't communicate like you used to. You, you don't have sex like you used to. You don't date each other like you used to. And, and as I say those things, you're, you're wallowing in, in shame. You're like, I know it should be better. I know we, we need to do better. I know like he needs to do better. And like you experience shame. Can you, can you just imagine for a moment and pull yourself out of the shame that you are involved in in marriage and recognize that in the beginning, the marriage was God's good design, so good that it was free of shame, naked and unashamed. The reason why we're going back to the beginning for all of these weeks, the reason why we're going back to the beginning with marriage is that we need to be reminded. We need to say to the enemy, not today, Satan, in my marriage, and not today, shame in my marriage. And we need to go back to the beginning and recapture God's good design. This is it. Do you see it? Do you see how the very first marriage and no shame can, can affect and inform your marriage today? No matter how far you have gone straight away from that, no matter what sin you've committed in your marriage, no matter what sin's been committed against you in your marriage, no matter what divorce has been talked about or even done, God today can restore the intended design that he has for marriage and make it good and make it free of shame. That's good news this morning. Here's our, our second point, is that marriage is about unity not uniformity. So marriage is God's good design, and the marriage is about unity, not uniformity. Now, I want to give you something super theological, so just stick with me super deep. Okay, you ready? Men and women are different. Okay? I know, I know, I know. Just go read about it later in your Bibles. Um, men and women are, are different. And, and there's a reason why men and women are different. Like, some of you are like, I <laughs> know, and it's not like those kind of reasons, like stop elbowing your spouse. Men and women are different because God created them that way. Now, I know today in 2024, that's a political statement, but listen, that's a biblical statement. 
like Matthew 19, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, quotes this passage and harkens back to the way designed was intended with man and woman, with marriage. And he says in Matthew 19, go look it up on your own. He says, yeah, God created them. Male and female, he created them. And he talks about those two different people becoming one. We see that in the very beginning. We see Jesus proclaim that. And that's what marriage is about. That, that's what it's about. It's about unity. It's about oneness, but it's not about uniformity. Male and female are very different. We see it even in this passage that right before this passage, man is called to be a cultivator. He's called to, to work the garden and care for the garden. And then here in this passage, we see twice, the woman is called to be a helper. He says it twice when it's repeated. We want to take notice of that, not try to dismiss it because we don't like the word. And here's what I know. Many of us, we, we don't like that word helper because many times this word is used to diminish women. But if you look at the context and you really read scripture, that is not the case. Uh, David in the Psalms calls God helper, the same Hebrew word. Is God, is God less than? Is God less than? No. Is God weak? No. God is called helper. The woman is called helper. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is called a helper. I, even if you look at this, like the way God creates the woman, did you notice how he creates her? He, he doesn't take her from Adam's head so that she's greater than him. He doesn't take her from Adam's foot so she's less than him. Where does he take her? Out of the rib to be equal to him, different, but equal. Listen, if anything, as you look at the, just practically, like just logically, like the woman comes as a helper, who needs help? The man, okay? Like that, that's what's happening here. And so you have two very equal, but different compliments to one another. It's not about uniformity, it's about unity. And God brings this together, and it's, it's, meant, to be, it's meant to be beautiful. Uh, there's a guy named Josh Butler who's an author who highlights this in, in creation, that this is the way the beauty in creation works, is that it's always two different things converging together to become one. It's like night and day, like two very different things, right? What happens when they come together? A sunrise, a sunset. Like some of you, you, you're not morning people, but you will wake up early just to see a beautiful sunrise because it's so beautiful. And how does it happen? Well, night and day, two different come together as one and it's beautiful. Like some of you, you you'll travel six hours to California, maybe seven, depending on traffic, just to go to a what? A beach. So we, that's where you're going, spring break. You're like, we're going to the beach. Like, what are you going to do? Oh, we're just going to sit at the beach. We're going to see the water come in on the land. It's land and water, two very different things. But when they come together, man, you'll pay extra money for a house on the beach. It's beautiful when two different things come together as one. And so it is in marriage. And again, most of us don't, don't really think that. But this is what, what God intended. That it's meant to be beautiful when two people to come together, a cultivator, a helper, a man and a woman, and they converge physically. That sex is meant to be beautiful, not shameful. 
between a man and a woman in marriage, sex, man, it's meant to be glorious. Amen? It's God's idea. I didn't come up with it. It's meant to be glorious. When they become one, when they become one missionally, that much of the reason that the woman is on the scene and as a helper, it's so Adam and Eve together can accomplish something they could not accomplish on their own. That they can have a redemptive purpose, that they can be part of the mission of God, putting God on display and his glory on display in the way that they worked, in the way that they were married, in the way that they go on to confess sin and and repent and experience forgiveness, that they could put that message out to a, a whole world. And they could be a part of that together. You're one missionally. It's meant to be beautiful. And the reality is some of you, you're like, well, you know, I'm an attorney and she's a teacher. And you might be having conflict right now because you feel like, hey, we're going in separate ways. And what you mean by that is your vocation. And what I'm here to tell you is no matter what your profession is, this is your mission. And you should be unified in that. That you're you're an attorney for the glory of God. You're a teacher for the glory of God. And you see how you can come together and praise God that you're not both attorneys. And that God's gifted you differently. But you come together. And you glorify God together in your vocations and in different directions. But as, as one flesh. You're one financially. Meaning you don't have hidden bank accounts. You're collective with your finances. You unleash them in generosity for the good of others. You're one, and you're two different people who have become one. And here's what I know. Again, as many of us think about that, we just think about all the differences that cause conflict in our marriage. We don't see those as strengths that complement one another. And we struggle as a result of that. We don't see it as beautiful. And so I want to help you. I want to give you a few practical things. You can look on the screen Uh, Maybe take a picture of this or take notes on it if you would like. How do we experience the beauty and the impact of the oneness we're seeing in Genesis? What I would submit to you is we see it only if we're Jesus-centered people. Only if your marriage is a Jesus-centered marriage. What I would tell you is what's outlined here in Genesis chapter 2 is impossible in your own flesh without the help of Jesus Christ. And what we see in John chapter 1 is Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. And so if we're gonna have a oneness that's beautiful, that's impactful as God intended, we have to walk in that Jesus-centered oneness. And so I wanna give you just a few things, that you would walk in a marriage that's full of truth. Meaning first, you would have no secrets. That you would be vulnerable enough to share who you really are in marriage. Listen, the beauty of marriage is fully known, fully loved. Here's how many of us walk in marriage. Partly pretending and hoping they accept you. Now, are you going to experience oneness in that? No. Every one of those times you're pretending, every one of those secrets, however little, did you know it's a barrier to your oneness? How many of you, married couples, you've had a romantic night and everything was going great but then something comes up that you, you failed to share with your spouse and there's no sex happening. You're talking for hours about that thing. Or even it just if you're honest, sex happened, but it, it wasn't glorious and beautiful as God intended it to be. And the reality is it had nothing to do with you physically. It had to do with you emotionally. And you weren't connecting during the week. 
and you're hiding that thing from her or you're hiding that thing from him. And it's separating what God intended to be beautiful and glorious, that oneness, it's separate because you got some secrets. One pastor friend of mine says it this way. Hey, every one of us, we have a file in the back of our mind and we just stow away secrets. And we think, well, I could never tell Jaya this. She thinks I could never tell Tim this. I mean, what would she think of me? And we just put things in that file. And what he said him and his wife do is we just, every once in a while we say, hey, is there anything in the file? And some of you are like, I don't like that, Tim. And what I would tell you is my wife and I haven't done this perfectly over 18 years, but we, we've started to try to do that more, even more recently in our marriage. And what I can tell you is it's not pushing us further away. It's bringing us closer together because it's removing the barriers that secrets cause in your marriage. And some of you today, you need to make that commitment. You need to have that conversation at lunch and be like, hey, is there anything in the file? And here's, here's the beauty when you do that is marriage is a commitment to love one another unconditionally, to be fully known and fully loved. So you can share those things and still know that you are loved by other, that other person. And so we don't share secrets. We, we want to be beautifully, gloriously one. And how do we do that? We're full of truth. We don't have secrets. We don't have blanket statements. Man, early on in my wife and I's marriage, man, this, this crushed us. You know what it was? You never do this. You always do this. And again, get your, keep your elbows to yourself, okay? Because we do this all the time, right? And, and it crushes us. It makes everything you think you've done good, like, well, but I, I did do it one time. It negates it. And then you don't want to try that again. It's deflating and defeating. If we're going to have oneness, we, there's no blanket statements. Uh, you need to be quick to repent. Again, if we, if we uh, I think that was Grace. I'm just flipping over. Okay. You're tracking with me though, right? You can see both columns. Okay. Uh, we need to be quick to repent and then quick to forgive. Full of truth, full of grace. Right? Because we believe the gospel. How, how many of you in here are Christians? You would say you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay. And if you're a Christian and you're married, part of you believing the gospel vertically, that God accepts you. That's the foundation for your horizontal relationship with your spouse. And if you really believe the gospel, that means you can be quick to repent. That means you're not fighting for your righteousness. That means you're not fighting for you to be right. That means you're clinging to the righteousness of Christ. Amen? And as you do that, I don't have to be right. I I apologize. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry I was wrong. And then you can be quick to forgive. Again, why? because you believe the gospel. Your husband, your, your wife is not your savior. They're just your spouse. Jesus Christ is your savior. So in that kind of freedom, when you understand that, I don't need you, Jerry Maguire, to complete me. So I can just say, hey, I forgive you. I forgive you. That you have a marriage that's full of grace and full of truth and you experience that kind of oneness. You, you're full of truth and that you pray for each other. You just stop maybe in the middle of your day and you just send a text to your wife, hey, I'm just, I'm praying this over you. A, a verse that's been popular in our house lately is 2 Timothy 1.7, that, that God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and self-control. And my wife and I, sometimes we'll just send that verse to each other, especially if we're having a hard day. We'll say, I'm praying this over you right now. You pray for each other. You saturate with God's word, full of truth. You prioritize church, community group, classes, 
Uh, you frame up scripture in your home. You, you get it on your, your Bible app and you, you saturate your marriage with, with truth. Did you know there are so many lies coming at you from our culture and directly from Satan every single day in your marriage? And, and you're, you're absorbing all those. And unless you counter them with God's truth, you will start to believe the lies and they will start to divide your marriage. And some of you need to bring God's word back into your marriage. Proactively do that. My wife, she's so good at this. Like she's got framed up photos of just with scripture on them. And I'm washing my hands, thinking about all the lies. And then I got truth staring me in the face. And it's helpful to bring oneness in our marriage. And then lastly, this is super spiritual. Some of you just need to enjoy each other. And listen to me, Home Depot doesn't count, okay? Like, you need to plan date nights. You, you need to be full of grace and pursue each other and, and plan times of sex with each other. Everybody relax. And you need to be full of grace. And, and you need to laugh together. And, and I'll talk to couples, and, and they're, they're having a hard time, and I've kind of said this before, but the first question I'll ask them is like, hey, how did you propose? And they always get so frustrated by that. We're trying to figure out this conflict. And I'm like, no, 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 but take me back to the beginning. How did you propose to her? What did you guys used to enjoy doing together? Is there anything that you think of that you used to do for her that she liked? And they'll like, yeah, you know, we used to go to this one place and we used to drive out here, we used to go for a hike. And I'm like, hey, do that again. <laughs> enjoy each other once again. I know the kids are hard. I know like uh, you got work and fine. Like I know all the things, but make time for this and prioritize this and enjoy each other. If we're gonna experience oneness, it's gotta be Jesus-centered oneness. We can't do this on our own and it's full of grace and full of truth. These are some, th some things you can put into practice. And let me just tell you this. If you're new to our church and wondering like where we stand on marriage, I hope you already know today. I, I quoted Matthew 19, man and a woman. It's harkening back to Genesis chapter one and two, man and woman in marriage. That's what we believe. And here's the reality. I know some of you, you, you don't believe that. And you need to know, we love you. And we'd love to journey with you in scripture and look at the gospel of Jesus Christ together. And, and here's what I know is some of you believe what I just said. And the reality is right now in our culture, many of us in this room and in other rooms like this and churches, we are raging against threats to the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman. And we're raging against gay marriage and transgender and all these sorts of things that, that I agree with you are not God's good design. But as a, a pastor, here, here's what I'm seeing that's taking down our society and our culture and even the church. It's not all that stuff out there. It's not the flawed views of marriage out there. It's the failure to practice oneness, Jesus-centered oneness, and fight for that in here. It's the couples who have grown stagnant and thrown in the towel. And maybe they're the heterosexual couple who's online getting after all the gay married people while their marriage is crumbling. And I, I just, I believe, and as your pastor, we're never gonna budge on our beliefs. We engage culture, we uphold truth, we love well. But, but some of us in here, we need to stop looking out there. We need to look at our own marriage. And we need to start practicing some of these things. Amen? We need to start loving one another. We need to start bringing these issues of our own sin to the surface and being quick to repent and quick to forgive 
and quick to, to, to go back to the things that we used to do for fun and show our culture why marriage is so glorious, why it's so worth fighting for to begin with. And what I'm seeing is not that. I'm seeing marriage after marriage crumble or think about crumbling or be okay if one day we crumbled. And as your pastor, man, I, I want us to fight against that. That's why we're doing grace marriage. Yesterday in our chapel, we had 50 couples come out and spend four hours to see how they could fight for their marriage. And some of them are really struggling, but some of them are just like, hey, our marriage is okay. And we want better than that. God designed us for more than that. And let me say, I love, I love that 50 people, 50 couples, 100 people were there, but 100 couples, 200 people should have been there yesterday because I see the pain in our church with marriages and it's not going well. And we have to all lean in and fight for our marriages. So I talked to Shane Hawkins who helped put Grace Marriage on. I just said, hey, if I preach on this and people get the Holy Spirit and they like wanna do something about their marriage and it works, can they still sign up for this? And he said, yeah. And so we have another session coming up in a couple months. It's four sessions over the course of the year. So you fight for your marriage over the whole year and it's attainable and it's doable. And I would challenge some of you, even if your marriage is okay, you need to sign up for Grace Marriage. You need to join us. It needs to be 100 couples, not 50. Okay. Y'all got it? All right. Okay. Here's our last point. I promise it'll be brief. Marriage is a picture of a greater marriage. Another place in the New Testament that quotes Genesis chapter two is Ephesians chapter five, and it calls marriage a mystery. And it's not a mystery like, oh, bro, she's a mystery. <laughs> Still can't figure her out. It's not like that. It says it's referring to Christ and the church. That your horizontal marriage, man and a woman, is meant to be a picture, it's meant to reflect, it's meant to point to the marriage between Christ and the church. I know many of you, you feel like you're too far gone in marriage. You're like, grace marriage, sign up for a session. Like, why, Tim? It's because of the greater marriage. That your marriage is not just about you and your spouse and whatever conflict you happen to be in. That your marriage is not just about you and your spouse and the adultery that you're committing that she doesn't even know about. Your marriage isn't just about your good works and you're, you're doing your part and she's doing your part and you're making your money and she's making your money and we're gonna move up the ladder. Your marriage is not just about you two. Your marriage is about Jesus Christ. It's meant to put him on display. And that gives us motivation, that gives us meaning, and that gives us hope for every single marriage in this room that you're not too far gone. It's never too late because Jesus Christ Hold your marriage. He came up with it. He's going to sustain it. And he can redeem it. Do you believe that? Jesus Christ. It's, it's a picture of Jesus Christ in the church. How does Jesus love the church? Well, when we all clean ourselves up and we come to church, you know, maybe like 40 Sundays a year, we memorize some verses and you know, I'll try better next time, Tim, to love my spouse and, you know, we'll work on things. Is, is that, does Jesus love the church when we do those things? No, Jesus loved the church. Jesus loved you. Jesus loved your marriage before you were capable of doing those things. That 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ looked at you and looked at your marriage and said, I want that. I'm gonna redeem that. And I'm not gonna risk my life for that. I'm gonna give my life for that up on a bloody cross and I'm gonna die for that. 
before you could ever do anything wrong or right in your life or in your marriage, Jesus said, I'm gonna love you like that, unconditionally, full of grace, full of truth. And that's what you're meant to respond to in marriage. That's what your marriage is all about. That's the purpose of marriage is to put that on display. And you put that on display as even in your brokenness, you trust in Jesus and you put your hope in Jesus and you allow Jesus to restore and to renew and redeem your marriage. And the outside world looks at that and says, maybe we need to take another look because that's transformative, because that's not normal. And that's what we have, the picture of marriage in scripture. And so some of you right now, we're gonna spend some time in prayer and some of you, we're gonna have baptism. Some of you right now, you need to grab your spouse's hand. That'd be a good idea. Just grab your spouse's hand right now and just bow with me and let's pray together. God, I pray as, as men and women across this room who are married, grab their, their spouse's hand, that you would just help them to see Jesus as the center of their marriage, as the only way possible for oneness in their marriage. God, that they would recapture that glorious picture today. That they would, even as they hold their spouse's hand, they would be reminded of how you love them. And that's the way they can love each other. No matter what they've done, no matter what's been done to them, you love them right where they are. God, I pray that that would cause them to fight for their marriage, to strengthen their marriage, to go on dates in their marriage, to apologize, to not keep secrets, to forgive, and that we might see a church, Phoenix Bible Church, right in the heart of our city, be a church full of marriages who are imperfect, but they're moved by the perfect love of Jesus, to stay committed, to stay restored, to, to stay unified, even amidst a culture that's telling them that it's not worth it anymore. God, I just supernaturally pray that in the name of Jesus over every single marriage in this room. And God, I know there's some people in this room and some married couples in this room, they don't have Jesus at the center of their marriage because they don't know you. And maybe they've tried to do some good things. And maybe they've tried that hey, as a family, we should go to church. But they've never placed their faith in you. They've never given you their sin and their brokenness. And so they're not one with you, God. How can they be one with one another? And if that's you in this room, I would just invite you to, to pray this prayer with me. You would put your trust in Jesus. Whether you're single, whether you're married, Jesus Christ loves you. And he wants you to know him in the midst of your sin. He wants you to know him. He wants you to be fully known and fully loved. And if you want to know God that way and you haven't, I would just invite you to pray this prayer with me. God, thank you for living a life that I could never live, for dying a death that I should have died, and for rising again in victory. Jesus, I give you my sin. I give you my life. Help me to follow you. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, I would invite you to, as soon as we stand up to sing, would you come down to the front? Our prayer team over here on my right and on my left is waiting to talk with you, waiting to celebrate with you that you have forgiveness and freedom and oneness in Jesus' name in your life and in your marriage. Amen. So as we sing, uh, I invite you to respond. We're gonna celebrate in a few moments. Baptisms, you guys ready to celebrate? Okay, let's do that together, amen. <laughs>